uh, we're on a topic that I think we all kind of know in the back of our head, but we don't really move it to the forefront and live the thing. You ever have anything like that in your life? You know, you, you know it, you, but you just don't live it like you should. Well, the Word of God is so thorough on this topic that we're talking about today, and we've been talking about for weeks, that I just want to remind us, and I want us, I want us to get it logged in us. You know what I mean? You, there are some things that are deep-seated in you. There are some things that are deep-seated in you, and I want this truth to be deep-seated in you because it is one of the most important and foundational truths of Scripture. And so we're going to look at this, and this isn't opinions of men. This isn't just, well, Tracy's got this idea, or, or there's a few people that have this strange idea. No, this is solid throughout Scripture. Jesus taught this. His disciples and followers taught it. John taught it, and Paul taught it, and Peter taught it, and James taught it. It's all throughout the scripture. Every week we've been going looking at verse after verse after verse. So this is not some random little remote thing that we, we twist out of scripture. And it's, it's really what the gospel's all about. The gospel is good news. In fact, good news is really too small of a word. It's, uh, the Greek there is euangelion, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but euangelion. And it's, it's the news, it's actually used, remember when, you ever heard about the, the Spartans and the, the 300 and all that? When, when that battle was won, uh, if you read history, the, the word that went back uh, to the Greeks was euangelion, that it was ab- we have victory, absolute, total, it's joyful, it's celebratory, that's what the gospel is. It's, it's big time, huge, joyful good news. And so the scripture teaches us that if you are in Christ, now I want to, want to make that clear because the culture's out there saying we're, we're all fine, we're all, we all love God, we're all going to heaven in our own way. Well, the creator of the universe didn't say that. The creator of the universe said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. So Jesus was the source, was the open door to that. And since he's the creator of the universe, he gets the right to say those kind of things. Somebody may say, well, Tracy, how can you say that? I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And so Jesus said he was the only way. And we don't think he's a liar. We don't think he's a fake, a charlatan, a scam artist, that he's a truth teller. And so the scripture says if anyone is in Christ, not are you trying really hard? Are you trying to do good stuff? Have you turned over a new leaf? Are you, are you involved in some kind of religion? Are you a regular churchgoer? It really doesn't say any of those things. It says if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Jesus. And so just a real quick recap, we've been looking at if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Remember that? The old is gone, the new has come. Not someday in the great by and by. The old is gone, the new has come. And that God does not remember our sins. I want that to sink in. God does not remember our sins. He does not count our sins against us. That's taught in every Christian denomination around the world that Jesus forgives our sins, past, present, and future. But just because that's in the bylaws and the teachings of a church doesn't mean it's in our hearts, that we really understand that Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. And then the Bible says that Jesus became a sin offering for us, and he took all of our sins. So we did this exchange. I always call it the most glorious, greatest exchange for us. What we we did was all of our sins were placed upon Jesus, and so he took all of our sins, and he gave us all of his righteousness. This is what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that he gave us all of his righteousness, and so we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I want this to sink in a little bit. 
if that's true, and I believe it's true, and if you are in Christ, and so you are right now, according to the scripture, you are the righteousness of God in Christ, I ask the question, can you be any more righteous than that? The righteousness of God in Christ. Well, yeah, I, I got the righteousness of God in Christ, but it's that and I need to break this bad habit. Okay, everybody knows you need to break, break the bad habit, and we're all for you breaking the bad habit, but it doesn't make you more saved or less saved. Are, are you with me? And it's not, we'll get to that next week because people go out, so it doesn't matter how we live or what we do. It does matter. But I'm talking about our salvation, our eternal life. It's founded completely, absolutely in Jesus and who he is. And so life isn't about me making sure I do everything perfect so I can earn heaven for another day. It's about knowing that Jesus did everything perfect. And so my dependency is upon Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus' flawless execution of his plan. You ever had a plan? I, I, I like making plans. They never work out quite like I plan. It, haven't you done that before? You got this plan, okay, this month I'm going to do this and that. And, and, you know, the good news is you probably went further down the road than you would have without the plan, but you never execute it flawlessly. Guess what? Jesus executed his plan flawlessly, completely, 100%. So my salvation, my confidence, my joy is found in him and his finished work and that he did everything perfect, did everything flawless, did everything right. So it's about his faithfulness and his goodness. And really, unless we're deceived in thinking we're something more than what we are, unless we have some kind of self-righteousness in our lives, then we have to say, thank God that my eternal life, my salvation does not depend upon me executing everything flawlessly, but depends upon the one who did execute everything flawlessly and me just taking that precious gift of eternal life. So today I've titled this Jesus, Our Only Hope. He is our only hope. I don't know how clear it comes up on the projector. Things usually use themselves, but lose themselves, but there's some shackles over there that are gone. This guy's got a crown in his hand. Woo, we get a crown. He's got a crown in his hand, and he's just being loved on by Jesus. And uh, that's just a beautiful picture of who we are. Shackles are gone. They're broken off. Jesus gives us a crown. Why? Because Jesus is a great, he loves rewarding. He loves blessing people. We got a crown. We, we get blessed. The Bible says, this is how good God is. The Bible says that if we give a cup of water to a prophet, we'll receive a prophet's reward. Isn't that interesting? God, God loves to bless people. So we're going to look at Scripture today and expand this a little more, get this in our hearts, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead. That's a past tense. Did you see that? This was written to Christians, by the way, in, in uh, the Colossian believers. It's written to Christians. You were dead, past tense, because of your sins. If now, if this is the first time you've been in church, you never heard a Bible message, first of all, we say, great, welcome, we're glad you're here. But if you've been around a while, you've probably heard this Bible verse, the wages of sin is death. And so you were dead because of your sins, because that's, that's what you get on the payday after you sin, is you get death. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So this is before we were Christians, we were dead in our sins, our sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God, and what, don't miss that, then God, then God, then God made you alive with Christ. God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave how many of your sins? All of them. Isn't that good news? Now, you all know the answer to it, but do you, do you really believe it? 
Do you really live like that? Do you really think that way? God has forgiven all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. I want you to know there's the, there is a kingdom that goes on, a spiritual kingdom. Ephesians 5 or 6 talks about that. There's spiritual authorities and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realms, so there is this other dimension going on. It says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly. What God's trying to tell us is God utterly, thoroughly, completely annihilated and defeated the enemy down to shaming him. It said, Jesus shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's good news. Now here it is in the Message Bible, which is a paraphrase, the same verses. It says, think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Now you say, well, why did he march them naked through the streets? That was a, a thing that was very common in those days that if an invading army went in and won a battle, they would take the rulers of the defeated people and soldiers and utterly shame them by marching them through the streets unclothed, naked. And so the, they would say, here, we're victorious, we're having a, um, a ticker tape parade for our people, but here's the people we conquered. That's how thoroughly the writers of the New Testament wanted you to know. I want you to know how thoroughly Jesus defeated Satan and sin. Satan and sin. So there's these written ordinances, there's these documents of debt that are against us that need to be paid. Jesus paid them. What happens is, is there's, you probably, if you got a loan, that's what it is. It's, it's an ordinance, a written ordinance. You have a debt that needs to be paid. We had a debt that needed to be paid. We had a sin debt. The only problem is we couldn't pay it. We couldn't ever make enough. Now, I won't ask if you've been there. We have as a couple when we were younger. We always ran out of money before the month was done. You ever have more month than you have money? You want to get to the end of the month and have some money left over. But it didn't, didn't seem like no matter how hard we tried, no matter what we did, we just had to keep, you know, struggling through it. God was always faithful. And then I will promise you this, things will change. You just keep pressing in, you keep being faithful, God will change things. But there was a debt that couldn't be paid. I read about um, the Azusa Pacific University, which is a, a university out on the West Coast. They were having a commencement service. And John and Nancy Ortberg were being there. Nancy was going to be the commencement speaker. And so they had a little gathering of some of the uh, alumni, and it's just about 50 people. And in that gathering, they called in three students that had just graduated, and the president of the company, or president of the university, called them in and said, we want you to come in because these three students were dedicating three years of their life to the poorest people on planet Earth in India. And so that's a big commitment. You've just graduated college. You know, you got all these dreams and aspirations. And they said, our dream and aspiration is to go spend ourselves on behalf of the poorest people in the world for a, a commitment of at least three years that we'll do that. And so they were brought in, and they just thought we're going to be prayed for and blessed, which was what was going to happen. However, 
an anonymous donor was so blessed by their heart for missions and for the poor and needy that when they brought him in, the anonymous donor, uh, they said, there's an anonymous donor on your behalf. And so they called out the first one and said, your debt of $105,000 to this college is gone. They looked at the next one. They said, your debt of $70,000 to the college is paid for. They looked at the next one and said, your debt of $130,000 that you've amassed at this college is wiped out and gone. Guess what all three of them did? Cried with joy. And then the whole room cried with joy. And everybody cried. And everybody was filled with joy. Think about that. Think about the joy that you would have if something like that happened. Think about the joy you would have if you just got a mortgage on a home and the bank called you up and said, an anonymous donor came and paid your mortgage off in full. Wouldn't you be excited about that? Of course you would. But guess what? I'm all for being excited about that. But the debt we had with the Lord was, we were incapable of paying it back. And Jesus said, what you can't do, I'll do. The beautiful thing is he was an anonymous donor. He he let us know who he was. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, pays our debt in full. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to. Jesus did that for us. So let's look on to Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now. See the word now? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in whom? Christ Jesus. So there it is again. Why not? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Man, that's great news. For what the law was powerless to do. Now, don't miss this. For what the law was powerless to do. This is the law that God gave. For the the law that God gave, what it was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh. You say, what's that mean? It means we're just not good obeyers. We're not good rule keepers. There wasn't anything wrong with the law. There wasn't anything wrong with what God assigned us to do. We just weren't good at doing it. So what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our flesh, our human inability to do it, what the law couldn't do, God did. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, he was not a sinner, but he he had a body. He said, a body you have prepared for me, Jesus said. A body. And he became a sin offering. Now, in case that's a strange word to you, in the Old Testament, there were priests and high priests, and there were offerings that would be given for sin. And so you would amass some sin. You'd say, I need to go take care of this. So you would get a bull or a goat or a lamb or a pigeon or a dove, and you would come to the priest, and you would say, I've sinned. I want to bring a sin offering. And guess what? In God's economy, there's always death with sin. And so let's say I bring a lamb before the high priest in the Old Testament He would kill the lamb, shed its blood, and I would be clean and forgiven for all my sins for a little bit. But I had to keep coming back, and I had to keep coming back, and I had to keep coming back. Now, we all understand this, don't we? The lamb did not commit any of my sins, right? The lamb didn't commit any of my sins. I committed all the sins. The lamb was a sin offering for me. But the Bible says that the the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It could only cover sin. But we have the spotless Lamb of God. And when he came, the Bible says his blood satisfied the sin debt forever. 
The Bible said that after Jesus shed his blood, sprinkled it on the mercy seat, he went down was seated at the right hand of the Father because he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He's made perfect forever the followers of Jesus. He's made perfect forever Christians. Are you a Christian today? Then you are perfect forever. Now, I know that blows our mind because that's the good news of the gospel. It blows our minds. We say, perfect forever? But you don't know what I did even this morning. You don't know what I did yesterday. Are you in Christ? Then there's this perpetual cleansing of the blood of Jesus who forgives us forever. He's seated at the right hand. There's no sacrifice ever going to be made again because his sacrifice, the Bible says his sacrifice was sufficient and did the job once and for all. The for all covers two things, actually. It means that it covered it everything for everyone. His sacrifice covered everything for everyone. Everything for everyone. Sin debt totally forgiven. So let's read on. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn you or me. Condemnation is a harsh disapproval, a harsh blame, a harsh, I mean, if you've ever felt condemned, it's, been, it's a harsh disapproval. God said, I'm not going to give you any harsh disapproval, but I am going to harshly disapprove of sin, and I'm going to condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, might be fully met in us. I want to say again, because if you've been listening to my message and remember some of the things I've said, you could say, it's not what I meant, but you could say, Tracy doesn't like the law. Tracy thinks the law's bad. Tracy thinks the law's evil. I don't think any of that. I think the law's righteous and perfect and holy. We just couldn't keep it. And so it was powerless because of our weakness. We couldn't do everything perfect. And it says here that Jesus fulfilled the law in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Christians have the Holy Spirit deposited in them. So we're living according to the Spirit. Now, with regularity, when I say regularity, I don't mean like twice a week. I mean like once every year or two. It continues to come around. I will have somebody that will come to me, or one of you will come to me, and you have a loved one, friend, or family member says, you, you got to come under the law. You got to obey these laws. You got to obey these rules. You got to obey these feast days and these festivals, and you got to obey these things. Which, by the way, is not correct. But I've talked to people, and they say the Bible says that uh, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. That's exactly true. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it. And when he fulfilled it, he passed the test for us and gave us the A-plus on the test. Now, all the righteous requirements have all been fully met. Now, first of all, the people who tell you that don't think you could do it anyway. Because I promise you, if anybody comes and says, you need to come back under the law, if you would say this to them, I just want you to know, it's good news. I have met every single righteous requirement of the law 100%. You know what they'll say? Oh, you did not. There's no way you did that. That's impossible. You, and you just want to stop and say, so you're asking me to do something that you absolutely believe I can't do and couldn't have done. Because when I told you I did, you're fighting me against it. You can't have done You couldn't have done that. Well, then don't ask me to do something that I can't do anyway. When In the book of Acts, when they came to the Gentiles, these non-Jewish, you and I are, I, I don't know if there's any Jewish people in here, but non-Jewish people are called Gentiles in the Bible. And so they were saying, what, what rules and laws should we give the Gentiles? And I think it was Peter that said this. Peter said, why should we put upon the Gentiles that which neither we nor our forefathers could bear? He said, let's just be honest with you. We don't keep them. We don't do very good at it. 
Our forefathers didn't do very good at it. Why pass along a system that's broke that doesn't work? And so Jesus fulfilled them, and they're fully met in us. Now, again, I don't think Christians really get this. I think we have to keep growing in this. I want to give you a little test. Now, take this test only in your head, because if you've ever done this, and I have before, somebody asks a question, and you boldly yell out the wrong answer, you know, then it's like, oh, okay, sorry. So keep it in your head in case your answer might be wrong. And then if your answer in your head was wrong, no one knows, and you can smile, and everybody will think that you're brilliant. So here's the question. Do I have to repent of my latest sin before I die and go to heaven? Now think of that. Think of that. Now, many people who are Christians would say yes. And many would say, well, it depends. How big was the sin? We'll let you slide on a little one but not on a big one. They say, well, well why, would I sh- why should I be worried about this? Because if I believe I have to do that, then I don't want to miss heaven. So i got to be in this constant state of worried repentance that there might be some kind of sin in my life because I don't want to die and go to hell, so I want to be quick to repent. By the way, I'm all for us being quick to repent. I just want to see what the scripture says. The thought process is this. There is no sin in heaven. So if I die, let's say... Let's say I'm really super hateful to Darlene, kill over dead, fall dead of a heart attack, and I go, oh my goodness, you know, poor Tracy did not get a chance to repent, so now I'm going to stand before the Lord with sin on me because I didn't get a chance to repent before I fell over dead. And so therefore, I, you can't go to heaven because there's not going to be any sin in heaven. And first of all, I want you to know there is going to be no sin in heaven. Let's look at Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, talking about heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But I like the rest of it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now I ask this, are there people's names written in the Lamb's book of life, meaning born-again Christians who have done shameful, deceptive, deceitful, horrible, awful, nasty things? Sure. They've repented and gone and turn their life over to God. And then we say, but Tracy, you know, John said this. John said, if you're faithful to confess your sins, he's faithful just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So if you didn't have a chance to confess and repent, then you died and went to heaven with sin on your heart. So how in the world could we get to heaven unless we can say a repentance prayer right before we die? First of all, whoo, what an what a, uh, anxious-filled thought. How then could we get to heaven? Well, Let's see what the Bible says. Don't you hate when the Bible ruins some of your best doctrines? It's interesting how you just you, you think, well, I believe that all my life, but the Bible doesn't say that. We should always be in constant adaptation to the Word of God, not the Word of God adapting to us. And so let's see what the Bible says. In Jude 24 and 25, do not get nervous. We're not reading two chapters. Jude has only one chapter, so there's only two verses. Jude 24 and 25. This is out of the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase. For those of you who say, I don't like reading out of paraphrases, you can read out of any any translation you want, and it'll say the same thing. I just kind of like the choice of the words in the Living Bible. It says this, Jude 24 and 25, And now, all glory to him alone who is God, who saves us through, there's Jesus again, who saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, splendor and majesty, all power and authority are his from the beginning. His they are, 
and his they evermore shall be. And he, the he hears God, so we could read it like this, and God is able. There's your good news. And God is able. I'm not able, you're not able, but God is able. And God is able to keep you from slipping and falling away and to bring you sinless and perfect. I'm serious. Am I reading you the Bible? You say, well, I don't like that translation. Okay, your translation will probably say he'll bring you faultless. Has anybody fallen along in a different translation? Faultless. Some translations say blameless. I like them all. He will bring you sinless, perfect, faultless, blameless into his glorious presence with mighty shouts of everlasting joy. Wow. Not with a disgusted look on her face, but hey, I guess I need to honor the covenant. You did give your life to Jesus, so come on in, you you miscreant. We'll let you in, I guess. But no, he looks at us with joy and rejoices with joyful, joyful rejoicing. So you say, how would you, Tracy, how would you get in? I mean, you just, you just railed at Darlene. You just was hateful to her. You fell dead with a heart attack. How can you get into heaven if there's sin on your heart? Well, two things. One, God is able. By the way, there's something about you that recoils at the fact that you or I could live all of our lives and love Jesus with all of our heart, do a little sin before we die, and then split hell wide open. Isn't there? Isn't there something where you go, that just doesn't, I was taught all that in my life, but that just doesn't seem right. Well, it's not right biblically. It's not correct. And I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So, let's see what more of the scripture says. According to Jude, God is able. God is able to present me before himself. Anybody going to argue with that? God's able. Well, but I don't like that. Well, I do like that. I think that's awesome <laughs> because I don't want to have all the dependency on me because I'm flawed and broken. But Jesus is perfect. So it is true. No sin will enter heaven. But have you already forgotten what I've taught for the last few weeks? Are you a Christian? If so, you are sinless. If so, you are perfect. If so, you're righteous. Now, I know, maybe, this, maybe you didn't hear my other week's message going, there ain't no way. There's no way anybody in this room is sinless. There's no way anybody in this room is perfect. There's no way anybody in this room is, is righteous. In Christ, yes. In Christ, yes. That's what the, the whole gospel message about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, as we read verse after verse after verse, it says, if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have Christ. See, because what happened was the great exchange to happen. So here's what happens. Let's pretend that I did something that was sinful to Darlene, fell dead, go up to heaven. Let me tell you what, Je- what the Lord sees. The Father sees somebody whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Father sees Jesus. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what the Bible says. I'm clothed in Jesus. So when God looks at me, he looks through the lens of salvation, and he sees Jesus. Can you imagine what a fearful, awful, horrible tension it is to wonder see I heard a, a, a father say one time about his kid it wasn't this church as at another church and, and they got to testify and said oh my goodness my, our daughter just went off you know went crazy she loves Jesus she's a Christian she really was a Christian but she had a moment you know did you all ever have a teenage moment you know, you've, you've had a 50 year old moment a 60 year old moment a 70 year old moment too haven't you? you've had a moment and so 
And the father said, oh, I went into her room and talked with him. We prayed together. She repented. And I was so relaxed because I thought, what if she dies in her sleep? With that sin on her life, she'll go to hell. Well, I, and I thought, wow, people really believe that. Now, may I say again, am I for sinning? No. Am I for not having a quick heart to repent and, and get things right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But what a weary, scary way to live that if I, don't, if I don't do everything just right, I'm in trouble. And remember, I think it was last week, we opened up the whole sin market to us. We were thinking that we only commit sins of commission, sins by doing wrong things, and that was enough to keep us busy. But now we learn that there's this whole doctrine of sins of omission, the things that you should have done that you didn't do, the things God wanted you to do that you didn't do. So now we have to pray in a feverish sweat at night, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for everything I did that was wrong today. And I can remember four or five of them, but I probably did others, and I don't know what they were either. But now I need to pray for all the things I didn't do that I should have done. So I don't know how many things a day, Lord God, that I shouldn't have done that, or should have done that I didn't do. But please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, because I do not want to die tonight in my sleep and go to hell. Well, you can relax. God's able. I don't think it's a bad thing as you close your eyes in prayer to you know, talk to God about your day and what went right and what went wrong and thank him for his precious blood that covers all your sins forever and rejoice in him and praise God for that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, you know, the way I behaved today was unacceptable as a believer and, and by your help, Holy Spirit, I'm going to change that. I'm all for that. But I want you to know that it's all about how good Jesus is. It's all about how faithful he is. It's all about how flawless he is, not about you and me. By the way, I always open this up to questions because I'm telling you, I, I still think half Christians believe that if you commit a sin and died before you said a prayer of repentance, you're going to go to hell. And I want you to rest tonight. I want you to put your head on the pillow tonight in peace. And I want you to think about what you really have according to Scripture, not according to your emotions or feelings or what great-granddad told you one time, but what, what does the Scripture actually say? And that's why it's called the gospel. There was a guy named Leonardo Diaz on May 2020. He decided to scale this volcano in the Andes, which is a common place for climbers to go, and it's pretty intense. He went with a bunch of friends, and he was scaling the, the mountain, and a blizzard hit. And he got separated from his friends, which he didn't think was a big deal because, you know, he thought the blizzard will be gone, but he didn't want to let go. And so he couldn't find his friends. He didn't even know if they were safe or not. He was running out of rations. Well, now this was 2002, so things have changed a lot in 20 years for safety. But he thought, I need to call for help. But guess what? He had a prepaid phone, and all the minutes were gone. He's on the mountain. He's out of rations. He, hypothermia is setting in, and he actually had resigned himself to die. And guess what? His phone rang. A telemarketer had called him. And normally those would disturb us, but he answers it, and it's from Bogota. And they said, we see that you're out of minutes on your phone. Would you like to buy some extra minutes? He said no and hung up. No, he didn't. That's not true. How dare you call me? I'm on the no-call list. No, he, 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 he told him the situation. The, the person that called him could tell he's hypothermia set in, by the way he was talking and all that. And so he, they got numbers, they got 
you know, rescue crews going. Still took seven hours for the poor guy to get rescued, but that's how bad this train was and the storm and everything was going on. And, and I thought, when I read that, I thought, I wonder if there's anybody here today who would think, I'm, I'm a goner. I don't have any hope. I don't have anything. Well, I want to irritate you with a telemarketing call right now. Do you need more minutes? Jesus is able. And we can't trust in ourselves. We can't trust in, in I'm going to do it all right. That's why we need a Savior. Think with me just with some logic. If we could do it all right, would we need a Savior? No. If the law could accomplish everything, would, would God have clothed himself in flesh to be brutally murdered for us? No. That'd be, that's illogical, and our God is brilliant. We need a Savior. And so I want to encourage you today. Now, we'll, we'll talk next week about uh, how to deal with sin, how to say no to sin, how to be motivated to not sin. We've finally made our way up to that. But I want you to know that you're heaven-bound as a Christian on your best day or your worst day. And if you're here today and you feel like it's one of my worst days, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe you're in a worse month or a worse year. I mean, people, you've surely been in situations like that. I want you to know God's able. And I want us to pray, and I want us to bring our hearts before the Lord. And, and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I mean, what a great story. The guy was without hope, resigned himself to die. You might have resigned that life's going to be substandard and you're not worthy. And, but I'm telling you, God doesn't look at you that way. He loves you, passionately loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He's going to receive you one day if you're a Christian with joyful shouts of praise into his presence. He's able to present you before him blameless and perfect and holy and faultless and sinless. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the sweetness of your spirit and your goodness to us. I want to pray for those who are here today, Lord, who may say, hey, I'm struggling. I, I need that call from the Lord. Well, here it is. As Tyler said, just turn it over to the Lord. Elizabeth said, here, try God. And he said, might as well. He did, and it changed everything. Today I say, go ahead and know Jesus. He'll change everything. Why don't we keep an attitude of prayer? I want to ask, is there anybody here who would say, Tracy, I'm not a Christian. Maybe you've been in church a thousand times, or maybe it's your first time. I'm not a Christian, but I want to be one. With everybody just keeping an attitude of prayer, is there anybody who would lift up their hand and say, hey, Tracy, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be one? Anybody say, I'm not a believer, but I want to be one? Raise your hand up high. We're not going to pause here for long, so be bold. Don't be ashamed of that. God's going to rejoice over you. Anyone. Anybody here saying, Tracy, I'm confident that I'm a Christian, uh, so I don't feel like I'm getting born again again, but I just want to say, hey, I'm going to make a fresh commitment to my relationship with Christ today. Would you raise up your hand if that's you? Hey, it's a new day for me, a new beginning. Thank you. Anybody else say a new day? Thank you. Anybody else say a new start, new day? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else saying just a new beginning? 
if you're here today as well, it seems like it's been a theme for a couple weeks and struggling with uh, depression or suicidal thoughts or emotional issues, uh, we want to help you all we can, and we want you to get help. So do not leave here without getting prayer if you need prayer. We have different avenues to help you, but I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for those who raised their hands that said, I want a fresh commitment to Jesus. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, send a, just a fresh, sweet breeze of your presence and reignite those fires. Fan, fan that, that little flame into a roaring fire. Fan it into a flame. We bless them. For those who are here today who have been struggling with emotional issues or, or suicidal thoughts, we say be free today in Jesus' name. Find and get the help you need. Know this, we need you, we want you, we love you. And do not be satisfied until you feel the health and wholeness of God and of your mind and your emotions and your heart. And I bless you for that. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.